Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I am here with I Need No Name, and we are going to bring you the flagship show. And I Need No Name, there is just so much to talk about. If you thought you were getting any type of vacation from having to chatter so much about Bayern Munich or Germany, you were wrong because we've got a lot on the docket. There's so much to discuss. What have you been up to? How have you been feeling? I'm not been doing much. Um, I'm just trying trying to get get away from football. But unfortunately, <laughs> Germany keeps dragging me back in, and every single new Germany game has some new type of horror for us to witness because it just it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, somehow it, it, it like when you think you've hit rock bottom with this team, it does get worse. I can I cannot even fathom how things have gotten to this point. When Hansi Flick first took over, I mean, I. I was excited. I saw this energy in the team. And even though things weren't perfect when they were playing, you could see that there was something different. There was there was something added to what we had seen under Yogi Love. And it was life. It was energy. And now that's all been zapped away, among other things. I mean, there's so much indecision uh, in terms of the roster. Players don't look confident playing under Flick right now. They look like they're just scrambling nonstop. And the fact that they cannot seem to beat, and I don't want to say this in a derisive way at all, but second tier teams, it's concerning. I have legit concerns about where this is all going. I'm concerned about Hansi Flick. I'm concerned about this roster. I don't know that Germany has enough talent any longer. What are you seeing right now when you watch the team play? Honestly, what I see when I watch the team, I see a coach that doesn't know what he has to do to get his players performing again. Like he has no idea what this team should look like, what tactics he should use, what formation he should use. He just doesn't know. And he's just trying desperately to get some kind of foothold in every single match, something that he can cling to so that he can go back to the drawing board and say, okay, this is what worked. This is what worked. Let's build on this. Because right now there's nothing in this Germany team that you can say is in a positive direction that you can build on. The attack isn't good. Defense is definitely isn't good. There's no settled midfield other than having Kimmich smack dab in the center. I don't know what the tactics are, honestly. And there is not a single player in the lineup who is guaranteed to be there the next game that rolls around. So it's just like it's complete chaos. And like there is no like, you know what what we think when we think of Hansi Flick's team, we think of a high pressing, well drilled, well oiled machine. That is just like there is no hint of that present. Like, it's just a bunch of individuals being sent out there and being asked to just not lose. You know, I get that feeling from Germany that they're often playing not to lose rather than playing to win at times. Yeah, I, right now, to me, it looks like there is no identity on the team. Is this an athletic team? Is this a smart team? Is this a defensive team? Is this an attacking team? Is it a possession team? We don't know because they have no identity. They don't have a set formation, which, okay, fine, you need to experiment. But at the same time, we don't know from game to game where some players fit into the mix. Is Kai Havertz a, a striker? Is he an attacking midfielder? Is he a wing? We don't know. And I, one of the things that has me super concerned heading into the Euros next summer is I don't think Hansi Flick has any idea. And I totally get that this set of games, they are all friendlies. There's nothing to lose here. There's really nothing to be gained. It's just an opportunity for, her, for him to see some players and to start to surmise where they might fit. And he was so comfortable with this setup that he didn't bring in Thomas Muller. Obviously, he wouldn't bring in Manuel Neuer because he's hurt, but he's not around the team right now either. 
And there were several other key veterans that he probably could have given the nod to that he did not. So Flick, in some ways, I think he's experimenting a little bit. But at the same time, some of those players that he left out, like Nicholas Sula, you would think that come time for the Euros, I mean, Flick's going to have to lose whatever he has against Sula and start to pick his best players. But I don't know if he will. And this is what scares me. I don't think that there's a plan. And for much of Bayern Munich's last season, I felt like they did not have a plan. So I have no confidence moving forward right now that that Flick or anybody at the DFB has an idea of where this is all going, let alone how it's all going to look as we head into the Euros. Well, the thing is that Flick, I don't know. I think you you mentioned that it's it's friendly. These are only friendlies right now, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to lose. But I feel like Flick is genuinely losing whatever backing he had among Germany fans and among, I don't know, the media at large in terms of what he can bring to the setup in Germany. Because I think the faith in him is totally going away. Rudy Voller had to go to the media and say, we are completely, um, completely behind Hansi Flick. And even Joshua Kimmich had to say, you shouldn't blame the coach for this. It's, uh, it, it's not fair that he gets blamed for all of this. So when you start hearing those kinds of statements, you know that the coach must be under a lot of pressure, even internally. Yeah, and you know what's yeah, funny? I think I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, honestly, I feel like the results were so bad that the friendly has been elevated into something almost existential of a flick. And you could see it on the pitch against Poland and against Ukraine. They were genuinely fighting for their lives while the Ukrainians, the Polish players, they were just treating it like any other friendly. But the Germans really did seem to be playing for something there. Yeah, it's funny because as we've seen fans start to get outraged and we've seen the media start to become more critical, the players are definitely sensing it. I mean, they are really rallying around Flick. We've seen Kimmich come out. We've seen Leon Gretzka come out and defend Flick. We've seen Flick in turn come out and defend those players. So I I think the team itself knows that things are not good. They understand that there's a lot of heat on them. And when you, you are in a situation like that, eventually you will start to feel that pressure. And I don't know how this team is going to respond to pressure. How are they going to respond when they're playing a game that does count? Because everything we've seen of late, whether you want to talk about these friendlies or going back to the World Cup, they have not handled pressure. They have not handled adversity. And they have not been able to get on the same page at all. I mean, I feel like this is 11 individuals who just got picked up off the street At least that's what they look like. And they're trying to play against world-class teams, and they just can't do it. When you're talking about not picking up victories against Ukraine and Poland, it's a major red flag. It really is. And it's, it's no disrespect to those countries. But to think about where Germany was 10 years ago, think about how powerful the roster was. You were leaving off players who would have been starters at other countries. Now, Germany seems to be scrambling just to find a half decent 11 to not get embarrassed. And that, to me, is the biggest concern of all. We could certainly have questions about Flick, and we could have a million different discussions about the direction of the DFB, but Germany's not developing top-tier talent any longer, and we're seeing it really start to manifest with this version of the national team. We're looking at a player like Thomas Muller, who at the end of his career could come back on this team and play a key starting role at the Euros. It shouldn't be that way. For as great of a player as Muller is, we shouldn't be looking at him to be the savior at this point. Well, there is no legitimate striker right now. That's just well, one of the positions where there's an issue. Well, you know how I am about Thomas Fuller. In my opinion, right. both Bayern Munich and Germany will continue to look at him as the savior 
for a very long time yet because he is legitimately that good. But I don't think that the roster is necessarily as bad as you make it out to be. I yeah, I, 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 I know do. that like I think like look like look I I get it and I understand that you are concerned about the trend with Germany because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of talent coming through right now. But on the other hand, look at the ro- roster right now. You have legitimate Champions League winners on the starting yeah. eleven of this team. Okay, you have Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, Kai Havertz, guys like Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané. Uh, in defense, you have Antonio Rudiger. You have Mark Andre Ter Stegen, Kevin Trapp. These kinds of keepers. Like, look, this this is not an insignificant amount of talent. Sure, there are weaknesses at positions like the fullbacks and the strikers, but like, is is that really enough? to justify the results we've been seeing? I don't think so. Like, every team in world football has these kinds of gaps, right? Other than France. France has, like, world-class talent at every single position. You can't compare to them. But Germany, they have legitimately world-class players at certain positions, legitimately great players at other positions, more than enough talent to bring together a starting eleven that should be able to go toe-to-toe with any national team in the world. If this was a club team, I'd say it was horribly unbalanced. But as a national team, as a national team side, it's not a problem to have one or two positions that are not as strong as the others. Even the 2014 Germany team, they did not have a true, what should I say, a true right-back. They had Benedict Howardes as right-back and Lam playing as left-back. And look, they won the World Cup, right? So it's not necessary for the German team to be as talented as previous Germany teams that we've seen. And I think people understand that. But at the rate that it's going right now, I think that the performances this Germany team have put in, they might not have even qualified for next year's Euros if they had not been the hosts. Like, And that is unacceptable for yeah, Germany. I think, you're, I think you're right about that. And I think we might have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. First, are we overrating the talent on this roster. I mean, do we look at this and maybe we're jaded and we think it's actually better than it is? Two, when we when we see this talent, are we underestimating how hard it is for these players to meld together on the pitch? I mean, if you you think about players like Jamal Musiala and Florian Wirtz, widely considered Germany's top two young talents. And I mean, there, there's not really much debate among pundits on that point. But can they actually play together? Can can Flick find a way to utilize them both to where you're maximizing that talent? And then having to fit them in with players like Muller, Kai Havertz, I don't know if it's if it's going to happen. And that's where I'm starting to doubt myself. And and when I look at players like Serge Gnabry or Kai Havertz, am I overrating what they can do? Am I overrating what they can be? I certainly could be, you know, convicted of of overrating Florian Wirtz. I think you know he has. He has a great amount of talent. He's a good young player. I try not to put too much focus on what he's done this year because it is the first year after an ACL. And after that, it's usually that first year is usually one that you give up because you're not going to be fully there yet. So I think maybe it might be unfair to look at him and say, all right, well, he's not performing because I think he's probably still needs more time. But where time is ticking away, he's going to be entering that second season soon enough. And if he's not at the point where he can find a way to be an impact player with Germany, maybe he's just another German player that I myself am overrating. I can't speak for you, but you know, there was a point where I think a lot of people looked at Wirtz and Musiala and expected them to really take the baton and run with the German national team, and they have yet to do that. Well, for me, I just don't know why it's so difficult, honestly, because I keep mentioning that Flick 
he has a template that he should have stuck to. Like, I don't understand during the World Cup why he didn't just play full through as a striker. Like, what was going on there? Yeah. And now he's using this back three, and it's so terrible. Like, what is the point of a back three? What does it do? It doesn't do anything. It it doesn't work. Like, it, how, how do I say this? It's, it doesn't help defend. It exposes the wingbacks, and Germany have terrible wingbacks. It causes fewer attackers to be on the pitch, so it's harder for Germany to break down good or even decent defenses like Poland and Ukraine. It's not like they were defending like prime Atletico Madrid or anything. They were just put men behind the ball, and that was more than enough to stifle a German attack. So it's like Flick is just taking the team in the completely the wrong direction. I thought that the solution here was quite simple. Just play a 4-2-3-1, put Krug up top, put Musiala or Muller behind him, have Sané Gnabry on the wings, you know, put Kimmich Goretzka in midfield or Kimmich Gundogan if Goretzka is really in a funk that he might appear to be in. And in defense, put Rudiger Sul together or maybe Tio. Tio has... He was really good in the recent game against Poland. One of the few people who stood out. And at fullback, uh, yeah, fullback is is a bit it's of a, a lost cause. It's it's a big problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, just put put some bomb bodies at fullback. Robin Gosens, he was good in the last game, maybe. And at the back, Manuel Neuer. Like you tell me that that lineup, it it has its weaknesses, right? But what's stopping it from winning games against teams like Ukraine and like? Poland, what's stopping it from getting to maybe the knockouts in a Euros or a World Cup, like getting to the round of 16 and maybe the quarterfinals? Like that's that's maybe the talent level of this squad. But right now, it's not even hitting that minimum talent level. And I think that's firmly down to the manager. And I think Flick has completely lost it. I think Flick needs to go. I genuinely think so. I think it's time. Yeah. And I think that there are going to be a growing legion of people behind you that are going to start to feel that way. I mean, when you talk about making the attack very Bayern-based, there is some legitimacy to thinking that if you want to compete, that is the way to go. And I feel like you could really make an attack and have some versatile parts moving in and out of it that is based, just like you say, if you want to take full crew and take him up and place him up top, I think there's a legitimate reason to say he's the best striker that Germany has at this moment. I mean, you could argue that Kai Havertz has, has done the job when he's been called upon, and he's certainly a little bit more explosive than full Krug, but you might not need that type of striker if you just have someone who's efficient in front of the net. And full Krug, I believe, can be that type of player. Uh, Sané, Gnabry, Musiala, Muller, I think that's a good base to start with. And if you just want to be competitive and you just want to establish some stability within your attack, I think Flick's going to have to, to lean on that. And I do think he can still use players that he likes, like Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, and he can bring them in and have them play within that attack at various points, whether you're resting your starting crew or you're going to try and play matchups. If you want someone with more pace, you might opt for Werner over full crew. If you think that you need better crossers on the outside, you certainly want to make sure that you can get Sané in the match. And I think Flick has those options. But he's going to have to start making those calls. And if he doesn't start making the calls properly and getting things correct, there are going to be a lot more people like you that want him gone. And I know I've I've written about it and I've speculated, like it's getting to the point with Flick that you cannot just assume he's going to be back for Euros and that Germany won't upset the apple cart and try and start all over. No, if Flick goes out and Germany gets embarrassed in the last friendly, I, I believe it's against Colombia or is it Costa Rica? I can't remember. Colombia, yeah. But 
But either one, if he goes out and he, you know, puts a bad lineup out, if Germany looks hapless again, it's not going to be good for anybody, especially him. And we're going to start to see people start to be more vocal. And the team is not going to be able to defend Flick forever. And Flick is certainly not going to be able to defend those players. I do think Germany is starting to feel the pressure a little bit. And I think you're right. If things keep trending this way and Germany has another bad effort, and then we go to the next international break, which one of the, the next ones is a trip to the U.S., I believe, I, it would be very telling if Germany could not beat the United States when, when they have a friend. <laughs> so the, this is certainly something that we could start to forecast a couple of months down the road here. And if it's not looking better, I don't see why Germany wouldn't just pull the plug and, and, and go into desperation mode with some kind of new thought process. I mean, we saw Bayern Munich do it at an inopportune time. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what it wouldn't shock me to see Germany do the same. What do you think of Nagelsmann taking over? <laughs> so Nagelsmann is a very interesting name. And we saw that, that that PSG has moved on from that pursuit. And now yep. Nagelsmann is kind of left out there. He can go skiing whenever he wants. Byron's paying him. But if Flick does go, I don't know who else Germany can turn to. I mean, Tuchel. you're certainly not going to pull Jupp Heinkes out of retirement and hope that well, he they can, can fix it. They things. can ask for Tuchel. I'd send him. I'd let him go. No, I, I, I'm leaning that way, too. I think I would let Tuchel go. I'm, I'm so tired of Tuchel, honestly. And it's <laughs> not even been two months. So, yeah. It, it's like, look, it's kind of weird because Germany has so many good coaches, right? Why is the national team so bad? <laughs> it, Why it, is that it is like a question. If you or I could answer that question, we would be running the national team right now. Like, it doesn't make any sense for Flick to be this bad, right? Like, no, it no, doesn't, I, it's it, shocking. It, like, even if he was a completely talentless hack, who won the treble only thanks to the amazing squad he had, even then that would not explain the results Germany have had because it's almost bordering on sabotage. Like, yeah. how can you choose a back three? How can you not play full group? Why didn't you call up Nicolas Suda? Like, what's going on at the DFB? And these, these are the same things that Lowe did when he was in charge. So is there something institutional at the DFB that is causing the managers to behave like this? Like, w what is going on, right? Yeah, so the Sula is a very interesting case when you look at when you're discussing this topic. Because if you were Flick and you wanted to get the point across to Sula that we think your fitness needs to improve, we think you need to have more focus on your career. What better way to convey that message than to bring him in, sit him down, and then have him at training and to be able to ride him relentlessly if you don't feel like you're getting that effort? Leaving him home, a player whose focus you might be questioning. It's probably the worst thing you could do because <laughs> what is Sula doing right now? I mean, I would love to know that. Is he is he hard at work at the Bay Bay uh, complex? There is he is he hitting the weights? Is he working out? I don't know. He's nah, probably he, he's on vacation. So, come on, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so so I mean, I think it's been counterproductive to take that approach. And I I have I, listen. I have been on Flick and and been a fan of his. I was a hashtag stick with Flick guy when he was with Byron. I, I would have literally done anything to keep him at Bayern because I felt that confident about his ability to relate with players, to communicate, and to draw the best out of them. The fact that the national team has fallen right back into the Yogi Love zone those last few years of him where nobody knows anything, the team has no idea what it's doing from game to game, and everyone looks lost. This is one of the more disappointing experiences, I can say, after I've bought into something. I mean, I, I'm very skeptical. It's hard to make me buy in. 
But when when Flick got this, he got this job, I was like, all right, Germany is back. He is going to figure this out. This is all going to work out great. They're going to do great at the World Cup. They might not win it because the talent isn't there, but he's going to have them in somewhere in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and it's going to look good. No, it was terrible. And now we're we're steamrolling toward the Euros next summer. And, and I feel like he's got no clue what he's doing. He has no idea how to manage the roster. And and I, I'm like severely disappointed. And I feel like an idiot because I went all in on this. I bought in. I mean, if that's what you say about yourself, what does that make me? Because I thought <laughs> I thought Germany would genuinely win the World Cup under Flick. Like I, I as far as I could see, he was the best manager in the international sphere. And I didn't see any reason that they couldn't. And I still don't see why Flick managed the World Cup the way he did. Like Thomas Muller as a striker, never playing Nicholas Fulkrug, and then in the final game, doing whatever the hell he wanted, like the Japan game and everything. And now it just keeps getting worse. He keeps going to things that like we know won't work. Anyone can tell he won't work. And then like it's it's one of those things where I think that he's just outlived his usefulness. Like he's in a rut right now and I don't think he's going to pull out of it because pulling out of it would mean taking certain very courageous decisions. And I don't think that Flick is in a space where he can make those decisions. I think he need to get someone else in to do them for him. So yeah, Flick out, Nagelsmann in to pull out, Flick in at Bayern. <laughs> Let's go. Well, that would certainly be a turn of events that would have our site erupting for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be, that would be quite something. <laughs> The return of Flick, Nagelsmann to the national team. You heard it here first. When it all goes down, you can thank I Need No Name because he's probably really pulling the strings behind the scenes for the DFB and for look, Bayern look, Munich at this point. Look, we know that the real coach of the national team is Thomas Muller, right? Like, <laughs> he's also the real coach of Bayern Munich. So, therefore, unless Thomas Muller is in the setup, that this is what we get. Like, one thing I will say <laughs> is that these recent round of internationals has indicated me a little bit because a lot of people keep saying Thomas Muller is done for. He is um he is on his way out. Let's focus on the youth. Let's focus on the new talent, etc. 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 Now people are like, oh yeah, we need his leadership back. So that's that's a small win for the Muller Mafia right there because people have it, realized yes, when Thomas Muller isn't here and when other guys like Manuel Moore and stuff aren't here, there is a hole on the pitch that you can't fill. Well, and, and that's the, the really sad thing is it's true. Like at this point, like I like I touched on earlier, Germany should be at the point where a player like Florian Wirtz or Jamal Musial, they could be counted on to play that 10 role and to be able to lead the attack and, and help dictate the pace of the game, but they can't. They're just not there yet. And Bayern or Germany, either one, they don't have anyone that can control a game like him, that can provide the leadership that you need out there. And it's especially evident with Germany. With Bayern, there are so many stacked players, stacked positions that you can almost get by in certain games. But Germany right now, you can tell they are missing him. And I I am not an inducted member of the Mueller Mafia. I, I respect his career greatly, and I understand how important he is. But right now, maybe more so than ever, it's showing that Germany still needs him, that he still has a role on the team, even if at this point he should not. Like He should be gradually winding down, uh -huh. moving into the background, but it's, <clears throat> it's certainly not the case. <clears throat> yeah, okay. I disagree, <laughs> but... Um, well, he yeah, should be. I, I mean, he's, look, it should be I, time I, to I, hand I, it off, but it's not. Why? It's clearly he, he, not. He can play till he's 40. What's wrong with I, that? So I don't, I don't actually even dispute that because 
I've said it many times, his body type, his playing style, he's not relying on, he's never relied upon great speed. He's never relied upon great strength. He's a player with his guile, with the way things that come naturally to him that so many players have to work on and study, he just does. And because of how he's kept himself in shape and how he's taking care of his body, even if he's not Leon Goretzka out there, he plays a game and a style that could lend him to being effective into his late 30s. So while conceivably, yes, like a player at his age should be taking a step back, one, he can't because both teams that he is on need him. But two, he he's proving every time he goes out there that he still has that world-class ability. And if anything, it's really just a matter of managing his time right, giving him maybe more rest than he would have needed in the past. But I, I agree with you. He's showing more and more every day that not only Germany, but Bayern Munich needs him as well. Yep. So I guess that's a final conclusion then. That flick, he is... In the hot seat right now, like genuinely, you can see him. Can you see him getting sacked after Colombia? If, if say, for example, it's a convincing loss. So I can, I, and I can, I, I absolutely can. I was, I would, if you would have asked me three months ago if that was possible, I would have said no way. But now I do think Germany is going to look at the indecision uh, on formations, the indecision on roster spots. not being able to accurately assess the talent and put them in the right positions to to succeed. And I think they're going to at least have some internal discussions about how quickly this is falling apart and is there anything they can do to save it under Flick? And if not, is there anyone else that can save it? Because otherwise, if they don't feel like that there's someone out there that can genuinely look at the talent in Germany and get the most out of it, I think they'll be content to ride Flick out, let him fail and then dismiss him after the Euros. But if they do feel like at any point in the next six months or so that, that the team is scuffling and there's a good candidate to lead the team into the Euros, I think that they won't hesitate to make that move. Oh, I'm just going to say this. If I were in charge of the DFB right now, I would be on the phone with Nagelsmann yesterday, you know? <laughs> oh, man. I, that and is, then, and that then, and then somehow crazy. figure out how to pay Bayern Munich $20 million for his release. Because <laughs> you, know, you know that they still haven't paid us for Flick, right? Uh, that's not shocking. I did not know that, but that's not shocking at all. Yeah, they 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 were supposed to be like a special friendly organized between Bayern Munich and the DFB. That never happened. So yeah, yeah. Well, I guess good luck seeing that money anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, that, given the that money is that never coming back. Yeah. <laughs> well, I okay, guess this is a rip. good spot. Let's uh let's take a let's break. Take a break. We'll come, yeah, we'll come back with a little bit more of a Bayern Munich focus on this. Of course, there's a lot to talk about with the transfer situation and how the club is being led into the future. And I'm sure I Need No Name has some great thoughts about that. Oh, (laughs) boy. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bavarian Podcast Works flagship show. This is Chuck Smith. I'm here with I Need No Name. And if you just listened to our rant about Germany, you might be feeling a little bit down. But now we're going to turn it around. We're going to be a little bit more positive. And by positive, we're going to talk about some of the moves that Bayern Munich might be making, could be making, will be making. We don't know for sure yet. But I need no name. The biggest rumor that is out there, and it looks like it could come to fruition soon enough, is Bayern Munich signing Napoli center back Kim min Obviously, Bayern has a need at the position now with Luca Hernandez and Benjamin Pavar both looking like they're heading out the door. Uh, Dio Upamakano is rumored to be a little bit unhappy as well, so there's definitely some uncertainty there. Uh, I think that this could be a very astute pickup, a very reasonably priced pickup, but it might only be a part of the equation here. What are your initial thoughts when you saw this rumor about Kim Min-jae coming through, and how do you think he would fit in? 
Well, first of all, I was reminded of the last time we signed someone who was called the best defender in Serie A, and that was Mehdi Benatia, back when Pep Guardiola was in charge. And as we all know, Benatia came here with a lot of promise, then he was just injured all the time, and he never got any chance to prove himself, and eventually went to Juventus for a decent amount of money. We actually made a profit on him, if I am not mistaken, but it was quite disappointing. That was my first thought, which pretty much tells you my mindset on all transfers. <laughs> but I have been watching a few clips of Kim Min Jae, and unfortunately, the way defenders work is that you can't really figure out anything by watching just clip compilations. You have to actually watch them in-game. But I'm more or less pleased with what I see. He seems like a good, solid centre-back, and According to people who actually watch Serie not me, I just watch Juventus sometimes. Um, he is the best defender in the league right now. And the price that is being quoted for him, around 70 million with 10 million a year salary, that seems like quite a bargain given his age, his standing, and the fact that we should be, like we're basically using him to replace Lucas Hernandez, who cost about 20 million more and had a much higher salary. So... I can't be upset with it. I, I have to say that it is, it seems like one of those classic buying meaning signings, one of those simple, efficient, you know, signings that just makes sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's a lot of good that could come of it. I'm not the biggest Serie A fan, so it's been very limited in terms of what I've seen with him, seen of him with my own eyes. Uh, by all accounts, you know, he was, like you said, considered to be the best defender in Serie A this year. He certainly has a good track record. And if you read around in the reviews of his play and what pundits think about him, this seems to be a very positive move. Uh, the back line at Bayern Munich, however, is going to need help because with Hernandez and Pavar, they both provided versatility. Uh, you know, I think that the club is probably also at least a little bit concerned about how Upa Makano played under Thomas Tuchel. Not every coach yeah. player matchup is a is a guaranteed success. And while Upamakano had Nagelsmann backing him too, yeah, he was. Yeah, now he doesn't have that. So yeah, I think I agree with you, and I think that's why we have the recent Kyle Walker rumors. You know. Yeah, well, with Kyle Walker, that's that's a very interesting name. I mean, if you have a guy who is again, he's a little bit older, certainly has still has great speed, which I mean, who you can never have enough of that. I mean, uh, so but he definitely name. presents an interesting option for Bayern Munich because he, in my mind, is a stable veteran. He is a good player, does not make many mistakes, can take a player like Vinicius and really clamp down on him and lock him down. And if you can do that against a player like Vinicius, that is, that's impressive. And he's still able to do that at his age. Where I could see a problem developing is that Nusar Mizrahi is not going to yes. like having a player and like Kyle Walker around. I, I, the problem I see with this is that Tuchel has his weird Premier League bias, you know? And we saw he that with Joao Cancelo uh, this season. And now, if we get him Kyle Walker, what happens to guys like Nusser Masraoui and Joseph Stanisic? In my opinion, I don't think we necessarily need reinforcements at right back. We can say that we do because in case something happens to Davies, then Masraoui would have to go to left back and be our left back backup. But, well, that doesn't really solve anything. That just creates more problems, right? <laughs> It's just, it's just like, I don't want to give Tuchel any excuses to make a mistake. You know, I don't want to give him the option to bench Madrawi for Walker because I think that will just end poorly for both him and Bayern Munich and especially Madrawi. The same thing goes for, you know, maybe potentially signing Joao Cancelo because that that is not, like, we assume that 
Cancelo is going back to City and then maybe going to Barcelona later, but it's not exactly settled yet, right? So there's there's a complete possibility that Cancelo could be playing at Bayern Munich next season. And I don't want Tuchel to have the option to bench Davies or Matraoui for Cancelo either. I think that would be a mistake. The same thing goes for like the centre-back question. I don't want Bayern Munich after signing Kim Min-jae. I think that's a good signing. But after that, I don't think that we should go back and sign another top centre-back. I don't think it's necessary. Because I want us to play a back four. And in a back four, three top-level centre-backs is more than enough. You can have three top-level centre-backs and one more stopgap option. Whereas if Tuchel has a back three in mind, he will need more centre-backs, central defenders. And I don't want that. I don't want to even give him the option of getting that in his head, you know? Yeah, you said a lot of very interesting, very on-point things right there. Uh, one of the, Some of the thoughts that popped into my head as, as you were talking... When I look at the Mizrahi situation, I almost feel as if the only way you should bring in Kyle Walker, and listen, I talked a lot about all of his good traits. If you want to ask me, do I think they should get him? My response is, if you think Kyle Walker can be your starting right back for the next two years, and you believe that he will be significantly better than Nusar Mizrahi, then okay, you can convince me to make that move. Otherwise, if this is if this is a transfer you would bring in for competition or for depth, I think it's a horrible idea. <laughs> now, and that's because we've already seen Mizrahi is a little bit sensitive about his playing time. He's a little bit sensitive about his role on the team. And certainly Thomas Tuchel has not really shown any confidence in him. So I do think if you bring in Walker, it's going to create a conflict there. And, and listen, I understand this is professional sports. You're going to have situations where two players are going to compete for a position, and it may be different week to week who wins that battle. But I think that going out to get Walker could have some positive effects in the short term, and it could provide you a good starter, but it probably greases the way for Mizrahi to leave as well. When it comes to the center back situation, it's a very fascinating viewpoint, which you had there. And yeah, I agree with you. You probably don't need a fourth starting level player at center back if you're going to run a 4-2-3-1. So when we see that they want a left-handed or left-footed center back like Pal Torres from Villarreal, I understand that. Like I know that they would like to have that, but do you need it? And I start having those little wheels in my brain go around. If Bayern doesn't feel like they're going to be able to get that top-tier striker that they want, if they don't feel like they're going to be able to get a, a Declan Rice-level defensive midfielder, are they going to try and distract fans by going out and just getting a bunch of good defenders? Like, is this a window where we're going to see Kim Min-Jae, Pal Torres, and Kyle Walker all join Bayern Munich? Because well, if no it way, is, right? <laughs> right, I, I would it, agree it can't with you. Be. Yeah, but that if it is, just... it tells me that there's going to be deficiencies elsewhere. That's what I'm worried about. Well, it's weird to me that we are after so many defenders in a season where the most important hole in our system is striker right now. And at this point, I am just deathly scared that the bosses will come to the end of the transfer market and decide, okay, it's time to spend 30 million on Nicholas Wolkrug because, oh man, that is that is my number one nightmare. You already, <laughs> we already went over my number two nightmare, which is spending 80 million on Kai Havertz, which is, <laughs> which it seems that Arsenal is going to rescue us from. So I don't think I need to worry about it, but it's weird that the striker market is taking so long to get anything done. I, I was hoping that we'd have like we'd be deep into negotiations with someone by now. Instead, pretty much radio silence. All our transfer targets seem to be just like I don't know. They they don't they don't seem to be moving. Like Osman Kolomuani, they don't seem to be like moving at the moment. It seems that most clubs across Europe 
are keeping their options open. But at the same time, I don't understand what Bayern Munich are waiting for. Like, this is our moment to pounce, right? This is before Real Madrid come in and say, hey, we need a replacement for Benzema. You want to be the guy? Or before PSG come in and say, hey, we need a replacement for Mbappe. You want to be the guy? Like, shouldn't we move fast, move accurately? You would think so at this point. But what it all tells me is that Bayern probably has some doubts about players like Victor Osimhen or Randall Kolomwani. And the fact that they're not interested in Dusan Vlahovic at all, at least if we believe the most recent reports, yeah. it, it, it it's concerning. And the fact that we've seen, you know, depending on who you believe and what you believe, like they've already made the decision that Osimhen is too expensive. Bayern has allegedly backed out of the race for Kolomwani. And, and as you stated, if you were really interested in those players, you would be making the move now. You would be proactive to go out and fill a major void on your roster, but they're not doing it. When we saw those rumors prop up about Kai Havertz and trying to get into the game late as he was moving in on a transfer to Arsenal, I mean, I know I had speculated on that. And even myself, I don't know how much I fully believed that they would do it. All I really was going off of was that they liked Havertz at one point, that they need some kind of attacker. And that, in my mind, it would have been a bit of a bridge solution in terms of fan support and on the roster to bring in someone like him to try and make it work at Stryker. And then maybe next summer, go out and get who you really want, which at this point, we have no idea. But I do think Byron has at least some doubt on those players, and that's why they haven't acted. When you watch a player like Kolo Mwani or Osiman. I mean, do you feel like those are the kinds of strikers that Byron is looking at? I know you and I have speculated before that Vlahovic, of all the players, might fit what they need the best, but it doesn't seem like Byron wants to take that gamble on him. I just don't get what they're waiting for and what they're doing, because if you read the reports by Plettenberg and Falk, right, they're not exactly the most amazing sources right now, especially Plettenberg, now that Brazo is no longer at Bayern. It's very <laughs> clear that Plettenberg's source was Brazo himself. I mean, I think that's becoming increasingly clear as the days goes on. But yeah, as you read the reports in the media right now, it seems like Bayern are taking a very, I don't know, a very laid back approach to the striker market. It seems like we just keep meeting week after week, discussing transfer targets, and then nothing happens. Nothing gets done. Nothing gets decided. It's just like we go, we discuss this name, that name, de decide if this sounds interesting or not. And we, for whatever reason, have blacklisted Vlaovic from the entire discussion. I don't know why, but whatever. And then nothing happens. No move is made. No talks are initiated. There, There is nothing going on. And like, why? What are they waiting for? I, I still don't understand what they're waiting for. Are they waiting for the striker market to cool down? Do they think that as the window progresses, like the other teams will lower their asking prices? Because it usually works the other way around. It usually like prices go up as the windows wind down. It never goes down. Yeah, and, and that's what really does lead me to believe that that the club in their scouting has reviewed these situations and, and they are absolutely looking at it and finding faults that they don't believe are worth the investment. And I think that that's, that's where the crux of the issue is. I think that they do not want to take the chance on any of these players at that price. And at the end of this window, if indeed Osaman is off the table, and Kolomuani is not available, and Vlahovic is not even an option. Does Bayern look over to Werder Bremen? Do they say, we'll give you $15 million for Nicholas Fulkrug, take it or leave it? Do you think that's the ultimate solution here? At that point, I'd just rather rely on Chupo, because I think Chupo is better. Yeah, Chupo definitely has his, his, his good traits, and I think that he 100% 
can be a, not just a good backup, but he can fill in at times. Because of his health, though, when you have lingering knee issues, well, back issues, those do worry me. And I well, wonder it's not if like Fulkrug is the picture of health himself. Oh, no, no. But that's why I wonder if you take both players and you're rotating them, if you could get the kind of production. Uh, it seems like a waste of money to me because it, it could be you'd rather you'd rather just use Matty Tell, right? I, I would. But it, again, we don't know again, how Tuchel, Tuchel feels about Tuchel. him. <laughs> well, uh, you have to give you have to force the coach to make the fewest number of mistakes. And I think then not getting full crew will force Tuchel to maybe give Matty Tell some time on the pitch. And that is basically forcing the coach to get a little bit creative and get out of his comfort zone and do something for the sake of the club. Because if Tuchel had his way, then he would bring Erling Haaland to Bayern Munich, right? Like he would he would not care at all about the long-term health of this club and this and that. He would spend 300 million, bring Erling Haaland here and make the squad look what, like whatever he wants because he's not going to be in this job three years from now. Bayern Munich needs to think more long-term than that. So in that sense, I would prefer that we don't waste our money on full crew. Instead, we just bring in, well... At, at that <laughs> yeah, point, it gets hard, like, right? <laughs> it, it gets it gets it gets hard because do you bring in anyone at that point? Because if you can't get the top striker, if you can't get the top DM at, at that point, it, in fact, isn't that what Bayern Munich is deciding in terms of the DM race? It feels like Bayern have given up since we yeah. can't get Declan Rice. We don't seem to be looking for any Plan B, and we discussed this, you and I, right, a couple of weeks back. We mm-hmm. we discussed the lack of a Plan B for Declan Rice, and now it seems that the Plan B was to just have Kimmich play there instead. And I'm okay that, with that seems like but... yeah, I'm I'm okay with that as well. But like that may be our plan B for striker as well. Like if we can't get that absolute top quality guy who can replace Lewandowski, maybe our plan B is just to let Drupal do it again. It, it could be, and I also wonder if if there will be names toward the end of the window that become available for for such a, a low price that Byron might take a flyer. I mean, you look at players I like Patrick it. Chick or or Andre Silver who uh, did yeah, not have great seasons ew, that could horrible. be available. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying I want them. I'm just saying those are the kind of names. I mean, if that, if those out. are the kinds of names that we end up with, you're going to end up playing Chupo anyway because Chupo will be better than them. <laughs> this is why the whole discussion is so fascinating because right now, among all the different moves that Byron could make, there does not seem to be a backup plan. And even when we do hear some names associated with being a backup plan, they're usually not overwhelming. So I guess to take this discussion about transfers, and, and kind of move it over. Like, do you see any type of plan here? Because right now, as a fan, just like we no. didn't see any plan no. for Germany, I'm not seeing any leadership I'm, or any I'm not vision seeing right any, now. I'm not seeing any vision right now for Bayern Munich. The recent interview by Herbert Heiner makes me extremely concerned that no one is talking to Davies' agent and trying to get uh, contracts sorted. Like, what the hell is going on there? And there is so much going wrong right now that it makes me think of the 2019 transfer window where everything seemed like a mess and then we entered the transfer window with Coutinho and Perisic when we were promised an amazing super duper 100 million euro signing so my conclusion is trouble incoming let's go <laughs> let's go I, I, I am I want to go into this and, I, and I'm going to be selfish for a second yeah here. and this has nothing to do with transfers I want to go into the season optimistic and I don't no, need why? to go into the season thinking that they're going to win the Champions League I just want to go in thinking they're they're going to have a hell of a chance to win the Bundesliga, a hell of a chance to 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 win the DFB Pokal. But I just want them to be competitive, and it's a loser attitude, I know. But I believe right now this well, is a roster Chuck, in transition. Let me explain to you how <laughs> you can you can see it, it's it's called double think. Okay, you can have two competing 
concepts in your brain at the same time. You can decide that Bayern Munich's transfer window was a disaster, our squad is not good enough, the board failed, and also think that Bayern Munich is one of the best teams in the world and we should win the Champions League. And if Tuchel is not able to deliver the Champions League, he should be sacked and then thrown in the ESR. Okay? <laughs> you can you can have both those things be true at the same time. And this being Bayern Munich, that is actually a realistic possibility. Oh, you're, because, you're right. You're because right. in 2019, the transfer window was terrible. Our transfers were terrible. Yeah. But we want but but we also were capable of winning the treble, which is why he could go out to deserve to get sacked after their results. So yeah, it's 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 weird. It, it is. And and I still it is it, it's very odd for me because I look at this roster and I still think this is one of the top five or six like squads in the world in terms of pure talent up and down the roster. They just yeah, need this. Yeah, 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 certainly. But they certainly just need a good striker to really push it over the line. Right, we need, you just need not just that. good. We need someone better than Chupo, and it's kind of well, better than starting Chupo, to. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of starting to dawn on us at this point that all the strikers better than Chupo in the world cost a hundred million euros, <laughs> which is yeah, very strange. It, what does that say about Chupo Moting? Is is he worth <laughs> like ninety million or something? What, what does yeah, that mean? I have a hard time even justifying what they're allegedly paying him for a salary at this point. So I don't know. <laughs> you could. You it would be. You'd be hard pressed to get me to pay sixty million for him. I wonder worldwide here where Bayern is going to get their next striker from because I think truly do think if there was someone that they were fully bought in that fit their profile at 100 million they would do it but there have been players over the course of the last year year and a half Benjamin Sesko being one of them like where you would think Bayern might want to if they like him like they allegedly did that they would want to get out in front of that and see if they can acquire him they did not so clearly there's something in his game that they did not like, something about his profile that they did yeah, not like. Yeah, I think I think Osman, if he were available for 100 million, he would be. It's that 150 that mm -hmm. makes it just way too expensive. And I, I wonder with Osman if if it really not just his cost, but the fact that he is a lighter guy. He's definitely not in the in the Robert Lewandowski category where you know, he's certainly, I mean, a physical player for his size, but he's not the overwhelmingly hulking figure. He's not going to go into the box and win those battles like it seems like Byron would want him to. And that's where I wonder if if maybe there is a profile issue when it comes to Osman. Well, I know Kolomuani is a bigger player, but it does seem like the way that he plays operating out wide in space is is a better fit for him than centrally so yes i, I don't know I, i'm lost in the whole striker debate at this point i've given at up. this point and then there's also the fact that matty tell could be the next big thing and we just have him on our roster and tukul doesn't want to use him so <laughs> yeah and i think we know when we look at the situation and you know we can dream about erling Haaland all we want it's there are only a handful of those kinds of players in the world byron we does had not one have one at this point plus yeah we had one of them until last yeah, season. Yeah, we did. And it's why it's so important to hang on to them when you actually get one. Because more than any other position, I think, the, the world-class striker is an endangered species. Yes. And, and Byron needs to... Like next strikers. Time, yeah. yeah. yeah They've it, always it, been the expensive ones. And we knew. We knew it was going to be expensive. And I think there is room here for Bayern Munich to make an 80 million mistake. And that's ultimately what they might do. <laughs> so speaking of 80 million Euro mistakes. I think that's where we should end it because some would argue that I myself am a uh, big mistake. So uh, I need no name. It was a pleasure doing this flagship show with you. I thought we had a really good discussion about Germany and there were some great thoughts being thrown around by you about the transfer market and where Bayern Munich stands. 
Uh, hey, let us know what you think about the podcast. Hit us in the comments. Of course, we love to interact with you. So uh, please do let us know what you think, because as you can tell, I need no name in myself. We are just about out of ideas for this transfer market. We have no idea how it's going to go. As always, please check out our site, BavarianFootballWorks.com for all the latest and greatest Bayern and Germany coverage. You can always get me on Twitter at the Barrel Blog. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Tom Adams at TommyAdams71. You can get our site at BavarianFBWorks. I Need No Name. Do you have anything to send us off? Watch we'll us get Mbappe next week. <laughs> that would be something, and I'm sure you would have a lot to say about that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.